0: I don't know about you, but it's been good to be in God's house today and to worship. If you have a copy of God's Word or your mobile device, I would encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want to put a question in your mind that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is why are you standing here? Now, before we get to that, I just want to just tell you a little bit about what God's been doing in our life. As Pastor Robert shared, we literally about four weeks ago— Moved to Longmont, Colorado, which is on the northwest side of of Denver. Uh, we moved from the Texas heat into the mountains of Colorado. So one of the best life decisions I've ever made, uh, because there's 25% humidity in Colorado, and it's uh, really, really hot in Texas. And so we're excited to be there. But as beautiful as Colorado is, it is a place that is definitely in need of Jesus. The statistics tell us. That 92% of our, not only our city, but the, the area of Denver and northern Colorado is 92% lost or unchurched. It is, it is uh, statistics tell us that it's the third loneliest city in the nation. The teen suicide rate is three times the national average. So every day I can look to the west and see the beauty of the Rockies. But I walk the streets and live in a town that is desperate and hurting and they're trying to fill their life with so many different things other than Jesus, and it's only causing them to spiral, spiral out of control. In fact, there are more marijuana dispensaries in my region than McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks combined. So there's more accessibility to a drug that people are trying to fill a void in their life than there is even restaurants too. Eda, it's crazy. In fact, I just live in a different place. I mean, church potlucks, if I'm not careful, can take on a whole different meaning, <laughs> right? I mean, green, lo- green rooms could be really lit. So you just have to be really careful in how you publicize things and how you promote things. But all jokes aside, these are, these are staggering statistics. There is one marijuana dispensary for every 2,100 people. There's one bar for every 7,600 people, yet there is one evangelical church for every 32,000 people. So I live in a place where it's much easier to get high or to try to find some chemical that will make me uh, immediately feel different than there is access to Jesus. So there is a spiritual emptiness that resounds in Denver and in the Front Range. And so i am just be really honest with you, we have put our yes on the table and God sent us there. But I want to tell you why, but I also want to challenge you in the same way that God has challenged me. Because why, why would we leave what is what is seen as maybe a place of safety and security to go to a place that is so desperately in need of Jesus, yet not welcoming of us? Well, now twice. My wife and my family and I have been faced with this question, and our calling leaps from Acts chapter 1. And so I just want us to, this morning, look at this passage and to see what God might say to you. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, the, the Acts is written by the same author of the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. He, he was hired by a wealthy man to give the account of who Jesus was and what he did and so in Acts chapter 1, we get this, we get this account, but it is, it is in the place where Jesus has been crucified, buried, and he has risen again. The disciples that had followed Jesus for his three years of ministry are honestly trying to figure out which way is up. They don't understand everything, even though Jesus was very clear with them. From our perspective, they just could not see the forest for the trees. They, they really were confused But Jesus shows back up in Acts chapter 1 and he begins to talk very clear to them. Look at verse 1 of Acts 1 with me. It says, In the first book O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pause for just a minute, because there's some important things that happen. Jesus shows up, and as he has already told them, that when I leave you, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you another counselor. And so for you and I as followers of Jesus, this is good news, Because we don't have to live lives wondering what should we do, what path should we take. We not only have God's word, but we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, listen, you're about to be baptized. You're about to be fully filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is going to be the one that is a counselor, is a director, is the one that will show you what is right from wrong. Now, there, there's a word here that I don't want you to miss that we actually got to see in person today, baptism. Now, as, as Baptists, we believe what God's Word says and what Jesus gave us an example of, that when we come to Christ, that we need to express that through baptism. So, I grew up in a Southern Baptist world, and honestly, I thought that when you tell people about your, your decision to follow Christ, you walk in the aisle and you stand out front. But can I just tell you That the real way that you are biblically driven to do that is just what happened today. That is an expression of God has changed me and I must show what has happened on the outside because my heart has been changed. And so that profession of faith just happened today. And I don't know about you, but this place ought to go crazy when baptisms happen because it's one of the most exciting days for a new believer. And if you've never been baptized, can I just challenge you in your faith walk today that you can be saved, but your first step is to follow Jesus. So whether you're young or old, you've you've known Christ for a long time or just for a short time, your first step is to tell the world what has happened to you. So we, we celebrate that. So Jesus uses that word to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so a baptism is not being sprinkled. It's not, it's not being splashed. It, it, is, it is literally being immersed, being fully immersed. So there's, there are religions and theology that says that the Holy Spirit comes in and out as our actions dictate. But that's not Biblical. What is biblical is that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you are given all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever have. And He is with you and He will guide you. It's best understood in my mind because baptism is is being all in. So I I pastored a church that uh, we built a new building and we weren't blessed to have a built-in baptistry like you guys have here. We had a portable baptistry and we would roll it in and fill it with water, uh, hopefully warm, and, and, and then we would baptize people in that. And so uh, we, we, as we had baptisms, my, kind of my schedule was uh, a team would help set that up, and I would just go check it out before church. I got distracted one day, and we were having a baptism, and, and I didn't have time to go by and check it, and I stood up to baptize a young man about 8 to 10 years old, and when I looked down, I immediately realized there's not enough water <laughs> in the baptistry. So this young guy jumps in, and he's, he's ready to be baptized, and we do what we always do and say the things that we say, and, and I went to lay him back into the water, and he looks up at me with a smiling face, not wet, not one drop. And so I did the only thing that I knew in the moment, and I made a wave that just covered him, all right? <laughs> so in my mind, as a leader, I thought, good job, Doug, you solved a problem that needed to be solved. So went on through the rest of the service. I went to the back door. As I went to the back door at the end of the service, two deacons met me in the back and they said, what in the world did that boy do? I said, what are you talking about? Well, when you took him down, you held him under forever. Were you trying to get the sin out of him or something? And, I said, and so what I thought was a solution obviously did not translate to the crowd. But listen, when you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't want part of your heart. He wants all of your heart. And so baptism is an expression of that because you can't sprinkle water on parts of my body. When I give my life to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, it's all of you. God wants all of your heart. He doesn't want Sunday attendance. He doesn't want Wednesday night Bible study. He wants all of you. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We're talking about all of us. Jesus said, listen, you're you're going to get all of it. You're going to get the good. You're going to get the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you're bad. But it's going to be a blessing to you unlike anything you've ever known. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, I want you to understand that the disciples that followed Jesus and actually the whole much of the, the, uh, the whole religious community thought that when the Messiah came to save the world, that he would be a military leader, that he would be a conqueror, that literally he would lead an army all over the world and there would be a kingdom of God set up that Jesus was the head of, the Messiah. And so when Jesus did what he did... When God sent his son to be born in a manger of a virgin whose stepdad was a carpenter in a little bitty town in the middle of nowhere it didn't fit their mold so if you look in the gospel accounts there's times when Jesus is challenged with a similar similar kind of a mindset is now the time is now the time that you're going to take over the world So now that Jesus has been crucified and has risen from the dead, the disciples go, is this the time? Then we're going to see you come and wipe away evil and only allow good. And Jesus very lovingly, (laughs) with a lot of care in his conversation, is my belief, says it's not for you to know. Now let's translate that into our conversation. I don't know if you've ever worked in a place where somebody said, you know, that information is not It's above your pay scale. It's not for you to know. That's kind of what Jesus says here. He says, listen, what I don't need you to do is to ask me questions about the plan. What I need you to do is to be obedient. I need you to trust me. Jesus is now the time, listen, just trust me. And then he gives them, look in verse eight, he gives them what is probably one of the most familiar passages when we talk about living missionally in God's word. Look at verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There are two very important things that I don't want you to miss in this passage. Two words, two phrases. He said, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. That word power is the word from where we get our English word dynamite. So it is a a powerful source it is given to us by God, God is the only source that we can know of, but it is not like a control it is not like a a, 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 a power that just blasts us apart and destroys us. It is a controlled power when I moved to South Dakota. Most of you don't even know where South Dakota is, somewhere in the middle, and like there's a north and a south, and I think they're all together, I don't even know where they are. The only thing people really know is if you're a pheasant hunter, you know about South Dakota, or if you know about Mount Rushmore. One of the cool things about Mount Rushmore that I never knew is that the faces that were carved on the rock were actually 90% of the rock was removed with dynamite. So, I grew up in Arkansas. I'm not married to my sister. I wear shoes and I have all my teeth, okay? So, whatever you think of Arkansas, that's not me, all right? But when I grew up around dynamite, it was usually two rednecks saying, hey, watch this, and they would blow something up, and it would be very, very destructive. And so when I saw this incredible work of art carved into a mountain and understood that they could literally, they, they had a procedure by where they could literally remove within a, just a few inches the finished product of the, the, the sculptings of those faces, it was unbelievable to me. So when we think about dynamic power from God, it is not, God's not trying to destroy your life. What he's trying to do is blow away the hardness of our heart, the evil that's within us. It's strategic. It's life-changing. It's to change the landscape of who you are into who God wants you to be. It's dynamic power. It's power that cannot be contained. My mom, my mom's a great cook, and uh, one of the things that I love that my mom always made, especially on special occasions, were, were yeast rolls. I mean, I could just smell them cooking right now and almost taste the butter on the roll. It's just, it's just delicious. And, and uh, I remember one time when I was a kid that my mom was, we were having some people over and she was making yeast rolls. And I was so excited about that. And she, there must have been a large group coming because she could not fit all the dough into her normal containers. And so she was putting it in different containers and she took some of that dough that needed to rise and she put it inside of an old pickle jar and put the lid on it and went to bed. Now if you know anything about science, or about cooking, that was a horrible idea. Because that yeast expands the dough and it began to put pressure on that jar. And so they woke up the next morning. My mom went in. She tried to loosen the lid. Didn't, wasn't really thinking about the chemistry that had happened overnight. She couldn't get the lid off. So what do you do? You ask your husband. Husband comes in because we don't have any brains in our head. We're just trying to prove how strong we are. So my dad's trying to get the lid off of this jar. He's literally like tapping on it with a hammer. All kinds of very, very horrible, dangerous things that would be on YouTube and we would all watch it a hundred times. Uh, it, when, when that Lid came off. (laughs) That dough expanded all over the kitchen, right? Thankfully, nobody was hurt. But that was never meant to be in that place. Listen, unfortunately, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I just speak very boldly to you? Jesus is not meant to spend time in a comfortable place in your heart. Jesus cannot be contained in where I think he should be. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So what we want to do is we want to say, Jesus, as long as you will fit in my safety box, I'm comfortable for you to be here. But can I tell you the greatest place of serving Jesus is outside my comfort zone? You remember when Jesus walked on the water? There was, how many guys got out of the boat? Anybody remember? One. Just one. Everybody else stayed in safety. Listen, if you want to see the power of God at work in your life, And you have to be willing to say, God, whatever your power wants to do to me, I'm willing to be in that place. He said, you'll be filled with power. Secondly, he said, you'll be my witnesses. That, That phrase, be witnesses, is actually a legal terminology as if you were testifying in a court of law. And if I can be super honest with us today, we're more likely to share a word of gossip than we are the word of the gospel. That we are willing to talk about other things other than Jesus. And I just want you to know, listen, I'm so proud. Uh, Pastor told a little bit about my family. I've been married to my wife for uh, 27 years this fall. I have two great kids that I love. And if you stand around me long enough, I will talk about them because I love them. But I want you to know the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is Jesus. So, we're more likely to talk about a new restaurant or a new thing that we're doing or some song that we heard or a video that we want to see than we are about the thing that has literally changed our lives. So, Jesus says, You'll receive my power. You have access to who I am and all that I am. And He gives a command You will be my witnesses. But then He says something that that if you're not careful, you'll miss. Because if you've been in church, you've heard this over and over again. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To you and I, if we don't know anything about that society, that almost sounds like just geographic spots. And you've heard the sermon preached that it was, it was their town, it was their region, it was their nation, and it was the world. But can I just push back for just a moment? Because what happened in that moment in my belief was a crisis. Jesus said, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And they went, hold on, stop the bus. Did you say Samaria? You mean those people, the people who are not like me, the people who don't believe like me, the people who don't look like me, the people who don't live in a neighborhood like mine, the people who don't think the way I think. You see, if we're not careful, we surround ourselves and we're comfortable in some ways to reach out to some people, but we don't believe that the gospel is really for everybody. And what Jesus blows away that day is he just with a sledgehammer says, listen, the gospel is not just for you. It is for every person on the planet people that are different in color than you, people who are a different background from you, people who might have different financial abilities or disabilities than you, that, that the gospel is for everyone. So what Jesus in that moment does, what God often does, he just messes us up, right? I mean, he just turns loose and said, listen, what you think I am, who you think this gospel message is for, I'm just going to clear all that out and I'm going to set the record straight. God loves every person. If I could say what the solution to our nation is, it's not for different political leaders. It's not for a movement that would change. What we need is more of Jesus. What we need to understand is that it's not about what we think should happen. What we need is more and more of Jesus. we have saying it today, but do we believe it's true? Jesus said, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses In Jerusalem, Judea, and to the rest of the earth. Cannot keep it contained. The message has to spread. And I will be really honest, this will be the place where most mission sermons end. I mean, what what greater call have we gotten than what we read in these verses? But I want to tell you that verses 9 through 11 changed my life. And I'll be really honest, I probably had read over them before. And God had never spoken to me. But as I sat in my study 11 years ago and felt the first real call to church planting, and now even just 12 months ago that I heard that call again to me and to my wife and to my family, verses 9 through 11 changed me. Look at that. Verse 9. And when he had said, Jesus, these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and they we're gazing into the heaven as he went, and behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go." Now I can't explain verse nine. <laughs> I don't know how Jesus did it. All I know is that I believe Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. So he wants to be standing with you in a moment and somehow do a Star Trek thing and go into heaven. I have no clue how that happened. All I know is that that's what the scripture says happened. And verse 10 is a description that I believe that if those angels hadn't shown up, that the disciples might still be standing there like Gomer Powell going, golly. And if you don't know who Gomer Powell is, you can Google him later, okay? But it's in that moment that as they have heard Jesus essentially rock their world with what the gospel is and how it's supposed to be given, the promise of the Holy Spirit, all that he says, and then he, he just does this incredible Jesus thing and he's gone, these angels show up and they ask a very pointed question. He said, "Why are you standing here? With with what you just heard, with the commands that you were just given, with everything that you just got to be a part of, why are you standing here?" Eleven years ago, I sat in my office, in my own study, all by myself, and if. Jesus had spoken to me audibly, it would have been no louder than what I heard. Because Jesus said to my heart through this passage, why are you standing here? Do you not understand that there are places and people that have no word to hear? They don't hear the word of Jesus. They don't know the gospel. I've lived much of my life in what we would call the Bible Belt. Can I just tell you, I believe the Bible Belt is gone. That there is a lot of church buildings, but there is very little gospel proclamation. Listen, we are not a nation living under God anymore. We are a nation that is desperately needing to hear the message of the gospel. And so when I heard this, what Jesus said to me was, why, why are you standing here? These disciples, they, they've stood in amazement. They've understood that Jesus has changed them, but what they didn't begin to comprehend is that God wanted them to do incredibly more than they could ever do on their own, that he wanted them to be very active. Now, if we're not careful, that's where we get really scared as followers of Jesus. So if you're a Jesus follower and you you know Jesus, and if you were to die today, you would go to heaven, you know that when we start talking about getting active in our faith, man, we get these butterflies in our stomach. I mean, like, who do you, Jesus, who do you want me to tell? Where, you, like, you want me to, like, carry around a big Bible and start thumping people with it? Or what do you want me to do, be a street preacher? Or what if I, can I say something at work? Jesus, what do you really ask? So we have all these questions, and I want you to know that confusion is not from God. That confusion comes straight from the devil. He, he wants you to be silent. So oftentimes we are scared into submission. But can I tell you, But the greatest story that you could ever tell is your story. And that God has given you and I the opportunity not to just receive the information. Because this is a great church. I I love the history of your church. And I know that the Bible is taught regularly and theology is taught to you. But I want you to know it is more than just taking in. What God has called us to do is to do something with it. Because when the power comes from God, it is all that you need. So Jesus says, verse 8, listen, you receive my power and you will be my witnesses. He will equip you. He will energize you. He will empower you. Because it's not the job of your pastor and your church staff alone. It's all of our jobs as followers of Jesus to tell what God has done for us. So the question that has now literally rocked my world twice so why are you standing here? Here's what I realized. It's, it's happening as we speak, Pastor Robert. They're going to replace me in my previous job. <laughs> if you think you're important, then leave for two months and see what happens. Right? You think you're important, Pfft, they'll put somebody right back in your spot. Here's what I realized. I don't have a secret sauce. I don't have a secret weapon. But what I know is that somebody will replace me where I'm not supposed to be. There's nobody telling about Jesus to the people that God's called me to go and tell. So why did I move to Longmont, Colorado, where it's actually more accessible to drugs and alcohol than it is to Jesus? Because God's called me to go and to plant a place where his name will be proclaimed and that people can hear the gospel and they can understand that the love of Jesus is greater than any high the world has all. Why why would I stand here when God has called me to go there? So what does that mean for you? Because my guess is, in this room, it's a pretty low percentage probably called to move to Longmont, Colorado. Now, if God is calling you, believe me, we have a place for you, all right? But here's what I want to challenge you with. God has called you to be you where you are for his glory and for his honor, so if you're a teacher, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, an executive in a company, an a, a employee in a, in, a, in a workshop, if you're a, 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 a grandparent, if you're a supervisor, if you're a factory worker, wherever God has called you to be, if you're a college student and preparing for your life, can I just challenge you today that God doesn't want you to live a wasted life. And wasted life is not living for God's glory. And so he wants you to use your life to be lived in the center of his will. Here's what I realized. This is what actually messed me up and I ended up in church planting. At 38 years old, I remember thinking, God, is this it? <laughs> is, is this where I'm supposed, because I will tell you prior to church planting, I could have lived the rest of my days doing what I was doing and everybody else would have thought it was safe and successful in promoting God's kingdom. But what I understood is this, that God's will was in another place. And there is no greater peace than being in the center of God's will wherever that is for you. So if you're a teacher, maybe God has called you to be a missionary in your school to try to reach students and family with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I know that we are limited in our society and things that we can say and do, but I will tell you, if you begin to live for Jesus, you will stick out enough that somebody's going to ask you. Man, maybe your job, what a wonderful time in our world where now we can work remotely in many different careers and many different opportunities. Maybe God has called you to do your job in a place where there's a need for people who love Jesus and can serve the local church and to reach out to the community. So maybe your yes is, God, wherever you want me to do my job, I will do that. Maybe you're a college student here today and you're thinking about, man, what what does God want to do with my life? Well, maybe he's called you to be a teacher an engineer or uh, a, whatever the career that God has, put, a path that God's put you on, but to do that in a place where you can be used for his glory. a question would be this, why, why would you hear that and be standing here? We, we sing a hymn that I grew up singing, but I, I've decided that I'm going to answer yes. You remember the, the old hymn, Wherever He Leads I'll go. You remember that? I have decided that that's, when that question is asked, wherever he leads me, the answer is yes. So 12 months ago, I sat down with my executive director and I said, listen, I love this place. I love what God's called me to do, but I'm supposed to go plant another church. I can't give you a really good reason why uh, that God's called me to do this again other than wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. Listen, that's not just preacher talk. Listen to me. That's for you. And that's for you. And, And that regardless of your stage of life or where God has put you in this room today, he's called you to go. You see, I determined several years ago that I wanted to live in the place of God's favor. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 says that God can do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. That's the world I want to live in. When we planted our first church, I did not understand the power of this prayer, but I began to pray, God, would you do something that only you can do so that I would know it's always you and never me? In other words, I'm asking for you to do miracles that I cannot explain. I'm asking for you to do work that I can't take credit for. And what I have seen in my life and ministry since I began to pray, pray that prayer is that God will do exactly that. He'll, he'll do it for his glory and for his honor. And I'm just excited to be in the race. In fact, the pastor was asking me uh, before the first service, he said, well, what do you do when you start a church? And I said, well, this is what's not advertised in church planning. It's really hard. Like nobody like had a parade in Longmont, Colorado that the Hicksons were in town. Nobody is welcoming us. So we have to love people. We have to share the love of God so that we can share the gospel with them to earn the right and the the ability to speak of the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. The center of God's will is the greatest place that I know to be. So what do we do? Let me, let me give you a couple things as we close. What do we do? Three things. Number one, we pray. Technology is a good and a bad thing. You guys know it can be a distraction. It can be something that leads you to a place that you don't need to be. It also can be a blessing every day at 1002 an alarm goes off on my phone, and I pray Luke 10:2 that God would send workers to the harvest. I would challenge you to do the same thing. If nothing else, you can think about praying for us in Colorado and your church planner in, in Nashville, and you can pray for your local church. But I, I begin to say, God, you know what? I don't know what the answers are, but I believe that you are Lord of all. So every day at 10:02, my alarm goes off, and, and I pray a prayer, God would you send workers into the harvest? I pray for friends of mine that are in the ministry and church planting and doing other things that God would send workers into the harvest. So the first thing you can do is pray. Secondly, you can serve. Listen, God has not called you to sit and be comfortable. God has called you to be in the fight, in the game. God wants you not to stand on the sidelines and watch everything happen in front of you. He wants you to be active in what you are doing for him. And God can use you no matter who you are and how you think you're equipped. God has equipped you for his glory and for his honor. And you just need to be obedient to him. And I need to be obedient to him. And so the last thing is not only pray Not only find a place of service, but you've got to go. Consider where God may be calling you, because it could be across the street. Listen, we live in a society today that has closed castles. We go home, our our garage door opens, we drive in, and we close behind us the neighborhood that we live in. Listen, your neighborhood may be your greatest mission field. You, uh, many of you may work in offices or in work environments where there are multiple people that you could have interaction with. Listen, God has called you to be Jesus wherever you are. But you have to go. You have to be active in that. Well, Doug, what, what do we, who, who do we tell? I mean, I mean, who is open to the gospel? Jesus told us very clearly that we're to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So who do we tell? We tell everybody. People who like me, people who don't like me, people who look like me, people who don't look like me. People who like Coca-Cola and people who like Dr. Pepper. People who vote one way or vote another day, another way. It doesn't really matter. Everybody needs Jesus. But we must tell. We must tell of the thing that has changed us the most. What do we say? Pastor, I'm not a theologian. I, I, don't, know, I don't know exactly what I should say. Listen, let me just give you one verse and then one point. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you can, if you can remember one verse or write it down and keep a card in your pocket, you can share the good news of Jesus. But can I tell you better than any witnessing strategy? And I, I, believe, I believe you should do whatever works for you. <laughs> I'm not against any of it. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Richard Taylor, says, I don't care what your gospel sharing st- strategy is, just use it, right? But here's what I'm going to tell you the greatest story you'll ever tell is yours. How did Jesus change your life? What has He done in your heart? Because listen, I. I don't want to hear about somebody that I've never met. I want to know what Jesus has done for you. That's what's inspiring. That's what Jesus uses to draw people to himself is how God has made a difference in your life. So my question for you is this. With everything that we've heard, with everything that we know, with what we see in Acts chapter 1, why are you standing here? How can you be silent? How can you sit in comfort? Listen, I don't know what God's calling you to do. I'm not a prophet. I can't predict the future. I don't know what God's specific will for your life is. If I knew that, man, I would, I I mean, that would be awesome, right? I've been waiting on that FedEx box to come to my house with God's plans for my life. It's, It's still waiting, right? But Here's what I do know. God has called us to be faithful and obedient every single day and to tell the world of the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Why are you standing here? God has given you the greatest message of all to share with the world around you. Would you go? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm just so grateful that you count us worthy to be loved by you. Lord, the greatest news that I have ever received is that your grace was available to me. Lord Jesus, I just pray today that my brothers and sisters in this room, my friends who are watching online, Lord, if there's someone who hears my voice today that needs to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, God, would your grace be available to them right now? Lord, would they have the courage to say, I choose Jesus. Lord, there's no greater peace that I found than being in your presence There's no greater gift that I've been given than salvation in Christ alone. Lord, I pray for people in this room who need to make a decision to follow Jesus and people online who need to contact through the information they see on the screen. Lord, I pray that you would just give people the courage to say, this is the day I choose to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us that know Christ today. Lord, may we be challenged by your word May we not be silent, but Lord, help us to stand up and to get in the game. Lord, for some, it means they're going to have to change some things about their life. They're going to have to give up some sin. They're going to have to make some changes about the patterns of their life. Lord, for some of them, you're going to change the trajectory of where they are going to another place. For some, it may be walking across the street and loving a neighbor. For others, it may be reaching out to that lonely person at work. For some, it may be finding someone that they can minister to them and meet their physical needs so that they can talk to them about their heart needs. But Lord, would you challenge our heart today with that question, how can we stand here when you have given us the greatest message of all, and that's of your love and your grace for the whole world. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, I pray for revival to begin and me, and the people in this room through First Baptist Charlotte that might spread through this city to hit the East Coast and to spread across our world. Lord, we desperately need you. So Lord, would you just give us the courage? Would you equip us? May we tap into your dynamic power so that we can be your witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray.